0: Welcome to the Soil Health Podcast, a production of Who's Your Ag Today and supported by Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. We're here live at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. I'm your host, Elise Koning, with Who's Your Act Today, and with us on the podcast we have Han Schmitz and Michael Morrow. So Hans is actually, this is a repeat performance for you because you were on the last Soil Health podcast. We were talking about some uh, climate resilience and uh, some of the historical data. So thanks a lot for coming back on the podcast and go ahead and introduce yourself and what your connection with soil health and climate is.
1: All right. Thank you, Elise. Uh, it was really great to, to have been able to join you last time and really great to join you today here in Westfield. My name is Han Schmitz, I'm conservation agronomist with the Cropping, Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative and Purdue Extension.
0: We also have with us Michael Morrow, and go ahead and introduce yourself and what your connection with soil health and conservation is.
2: Thank you, Elise. My connection is multifaceted. First part is interaction with farmers through the Indiana Farmers Union as the executive director. I deal closely with them on policy issues, but also on practical issues on the farm. And then also I am a farmer, uh, farm, farmed about 800 acres this last year of industrial hemp and also have a great relationship with my wife, who is the Midwest Cover Crop Council program manager. So I glean a lot of information off of her.
0: So let's start there with those organizations you mentioned, the Indiana Farmers Union and the National Farmers Union. What are those two organizations?
2: They're organizations that really support small and mid-sized farms. One thing that we see in ag right now is a lot of consolidation. And one thing that we wanna promote with farmers is the ability to not only create their own energy and their own food and their own sustenance from their farm, but also be profitable from doing that. A lot of farmers nowadays have to have a second job on the farm to actually make profitability or make the rent. Um, so that's one, something we wanna change and increase the dollar going back to the farmer. So that's the, the biggest step we put forward in the agriculture community. But the second thing is, is we really like to support lobbying efforts uh, for farmers for issues around, you know, we see a lot of solar, a lot of different things that are taking ag ground and utilizing it for different purposes. We really want to make sure we protect those farmers as we move forward, make sure they're not gotten into a contract or something that really can kind of hem them up for 30 plus years.
0: Something else you're a part of that we were talking about earlier is the Climate Action Committee, and I understand that's on a national level. Can you tell us a little bit about what that committee does?
2: So that committee is really focused on the farm bill and how that impacts farmers and also consumers of farm goods. So one thing that we really look at when we look at what farmers are getting back is the actual bottom dollar that they're getting back from putting their goods out into the retail marketplace. A lot of times we want to value what goes on on the farm, whether that be cover crops, whether that be carbon sequestration, and, and so on and so forth. And as the farm bill gets implemented, we really wanna stay on the forefront of these things to make sure that farmers are knowledgeable about them as they move forward. So that's one thing is to getting that information back to the farmers through the group and back to the farmers in the states. But the biggest thing is we have annual meetings with lawmakers there to talk about issues and talk about the farm bill and, and how it impacts farmers on the ground level.
0: So we also mentioned Anna and the Midwest Cover Crops Council in the beginning. I had the opportunity to meet Anna at a forage meeting and she actually helped a lot when I was trying to get um, my chicken operation started. So can you explain a little bit about what the MCCC is?
2: So the MCC really is the premier pr- promoter of cover crop use here in the Midwest and is growing nationally. Um, their cover crop decision tool really takes the goals that you have oriented on your farm and helps it apply on your farm. So if you're looking to reduce your pest, reduce your herbicide uses, reduce um, increase water infiltration, water retention, you know these are the types of things that you can put into the decision tool and it can kind of spit out some answers for your farms and some things for you to try. Um, So one of the main things that they have out is that decision tool, but then also the cover crop guide. And so those two things are really big outputs that they do, but they're also really involved in conferences and being out there and, and promoting this as well.
0: And we'll get more into those decision tools and what kinds of things we can use to make decisions as well as cover crops as we go along. So Hans, let's talk about this concept of climate smart it's a phrase that we're hearing a lot nowadays we talked a little bit about climate resilience on the previous podcast what does climate smart look like
1: so yeah basically uh, anything that is climate smart is something that is going to sequester carbon so uh, michael and i had a short discussion before uh, last week uh, and we wondered how soon anna morrow's name would actually get dropped (laughs) on this podcast so i'm glad that it didn't make it past the introductions before anna got brought up But her cover crop selector tool and cover crops are going to be climate smart in that they are a growing plant at a time where we wouldn't normally see a growing plant which allows us to keep a little bit of carbon in our soils uh, and potentially prevent some nitrous oxide emissions in the off season. So cover crops is a climate smart strategy. Um, No-till is a climate smart strategy. There are multiple different things that are considered climate smart, and they all go back to the four soil health principles. Minimize disturbance, maximize living roots, uh, maximize soil armor, uh, residue or, or cover, and then maximize diversity, which makes me kind of want to ask Michael, you farmed 800 acres of industrial hemp, which is certainly a very diverse crop here in the state of Indiana one that is just on the on the forefront of really getting some acreage can you tell me about your experience with that and a diversifying marketplace
2: yeah thank you hans so one of the things that we wanted to focus on over the last year is a pilot program to see one genetics that were growing that were being grown in here for industrial hemp with they sound genetics but then also we were trying to really train the farmers that signed up with us to grow this crop because it is a little bit different when you have to manage not only like you're talking about the the top armor but then also the bottom of the soil to be able to have that root infiltration so hemp is a great crop to diversify your commodity crop selection so you could go corn, bean, hemp, repeat uh, wouldn't be a bad bad idea at all but the one thing that we look at when we look at compaction and soil health is that these plants need a, a great stable soil to grow into so we have a lot of clay we have a lot of rain that makes a hard pan and those seeds don't have enough energy to get through the soil I mean, a lot of different issues to go on with him you know, people talk that it's the easiest thing to grow and you can just put it out there and grow it but you know this year we got a late start on our planting we didn't get started until about middle of June and we had some crop failures, we had some burnouts. I don't know if you guys remember this summer, but in the middle part of June, we were having 90 plus degree days. Um, So it wasn't able to outcompete any other plant out there either. Everybody had plenty of sun, plenty of heat to grow. So what we learned this year is that we actually need to get out there in April, if we can, and start planting this. Because hemp can take a frost, a nighttime frost, and it can germinate around 46 degrees Fahrenheit in the soil. So, you know, I can talk about other issues, but that was the main issue for us this year was actually plant, planting timing versus the ability of it to grow in the soil, the ability of the farmers to do the processes. And we found those two things. Indiana farmers know how to do commodity crops. So that's not a big thing we got to change around, um, but it is a kind of a new mindset on how to get that plant out, in, out into the field
0: so michael how does your work as a farmer influence your work with these organizations and vice versa
2: well i i hesitate to call myself a full-fledged farmer um i I, am almost a a land steward if you will i uh don't have it in my genes i wasn't raised as a farmer i was married into it which i absolutely love it's something that brings me a great deal of joy especially with my kids but when i look at this I look at the economic opportunity for farmers when we're looking at different commodity prices right now, whether it's corn or bean, you see a lot of volatility in that marketplace. You might see some high prices right now, but you also see a whole lot of volatility. And when we look at anything to to bring income into the farm, whether it's solar fields or hemp or anything, you want to make sure that that money in that production is staying in and around the area. My purpose is, as big, is is majorly a big promoter. So I've been to DC over the last six months, three times. I am out there lobbying for farmers and being promoting for farmers and the 800 acres that I did in hemp, I didn't do it alone, had a whole lot of help um, this last year in, through many farmers and uh, people involved in the project. So one thing that I'm able to do is really connect people around the state. I feel that I've been involved in many different organizations. If you talk about Indiana Farmers Union, Indiana Corner Marketing Council, uh, you know, the Hoosier Harvest Market, you know, there's different co-ops that I'm also involved in. That's, I think, my, my biggest asset is being able to connect people throughout the state.
1: Could I ask a lobbying-type question? We, we've seen a recent article come out where people are starting to question the reduction in crop insurance by planting cover crops, which the last couple of years has been three or five bucks. Um, what's your stance on that incentive
2: I look at it from two different angles. From the farmer angle, it is a incentive to create more cover, and that's always good, always good. Um, I don't think that farmers typically will add on more management tasks without seeing some type of initial benefit. So I think that's a great thing for the initial benefit, but I think they really need to be, as they do more of this type of work, be educated on how that's going to be valuable for them in the future, security for their farm in the future by doing these things. So that's, that's kind of from the farmer perspective, but then also from the leaders in the industry that are already doing this stuff. And they haven't been paid in the last 20 years to do X, Y, and Z You know, these are our champions that are out there showing that this stuff works and we can actually make it happen. And so I think we have to approach it from two different angles. We have to approach it from that incentive angle, but then we also have to approach it. Where are our champions at in the industry and how do we promote the champions in the industry already to continue and to keep pulling people into these climate smart strategies?
0: So Hans, a couple of words that Michael used I want to ask you about. One's volatility and the other's security. We're seeing a lot of ups and downs in the climate this year. We had a lot of rain, a lot of drought. Uh, The drought monitor showed a lot of yellow and orange this past year. So how are farmers who are wanting to be climate smart going to combat that volatility and maybe create some more security for their farms for the future?
1: Speaking from past weather angle for most of the state of Indiana. I will accept the northeast corner from this. June was dry. And then around July 4th or shortly thereafter, we got a drought breaker rain, which we needed. We maybe didn't need that much all at once, but we needed. And then we turned off dry again in September. And the drought monitor at the time of this recording is still showing um, moderate drought and abnormally dry for most of the state of Indiana. So we're coming out of it now. Now from a climate smart, reducing volatility, reducing risk perspective, this year, as Michael alluded to earlier, early planting, being able to get canopy closure before we turn dry in June made a huge difference because achieving canopy closure reduces direct sunlight hitting the soil surface and slows the drying therein. Now, if we didn't plant early, but we had cover crop, maybe the ability to plant green, something like that, you achieved the same effect of reducing direct sunlight hitting the soil surface and reducing how quickly that soil dried out. Then, as we looked at um, the volatility and risk in the September, October time frame, I think farmers this year did a great job not getting hurt my biggest concern when we had that long of a stretch of dry weather is the guys were going to run too hard take too many risks and we were going to see things like combine fires or people falling off machinery stuff like that i didn't hear too much of that around the state and i'm really thankful for that
0: And you know, along with that injuries and the labor market nowadays, all of that kind of stuff goes into the economic considerations that a farm has to make. You want to take care of yourself and you want to take care of your soil as well because that's going to benefit your farm economically. For both of you, um, what are some of the economic considerations that you've seen that farmers should be making as they plan out their operation for 2023?
1: Uh, As we're planning things out for 2023, um, I acknowledge that many of the big decisions are either being made as we sit here in mid-December or have already been made. One thing that's going to happen in 2023 that farmers are going to start to notice towards the end of the year is that this $3 billion in Climate Smart Commodity Partnership money is going to get awarded and actually go into the industry's hands, they're going to start to hire up people, and those people are going to start to directly address farmers with whatever climate smart commodity strategy that they are attempting to address. So to kind of get ahead of that, I put out a publication last month called Before You Sign: Seven Tips for Entering a Carbon Market, and I... And basically, dropping that just for publicity's sake because it's out there, and uh, it's it's a reference that that folks can use because of the climate smart commodity funding. At least a f- handful of programs were pretty much directly funding a carbon market.
2: Yeah, I'll second what Han said there about dollars and cents coming out into the ag industry. I think we need to really be really smart about who we partner with as these as these funds come through. Um, when you look at private and also non-for-profit industries you really want to make sure you're selecting the right partners to have this money funneled through it really makes all the difference if if the process is successful or unsuccessful Um, i kind of want to switch gears now i I heard a joke from uh, a farmer this year around the time that fertilizer was being applied and they said you know fertilizer prices will be what fertilizer prices are every year just as much as, as whatever other costs are they'll they'll find the happy medium where farmers will pay it and they could put it on their fields but still make the pennies margin that they're they were planning on making you know just just jokes and stuff and laughing around and them and everything but you know you got to look at that you got to look at what the industry is doing to your bottom line and saying how can i do something different on my farm to make sure that the industry is not impacting my bottom bottom line as much as they can and, you know when we talk about cover we talk about different things um, but really what we're doing is we're improving the soil health so you don't have to do as much of spraying, as much of the different things. It might take 10 years to get there, but I think that every, every year that you, you are successful at doing that uh, gives you that much more of an insurance policy for your farm the next year. Um, so those are the two things that I want to really point out as the next year is you know, know who you're partnering with and you know, make sure you're, you're doing things that impacts your bottom line positively i know guys out there that just that's that's the spray build put it in the sprayer and go out and do it because that's just what they do every year but i think we can change that mentality a little bit yeah i agree you
1: know i do want to piggyback off that by saying i was at the indiana certified crop advisor conference the last two days and Shalimar armstrong has some very interesting data on the nitrogen production of balanza clover so if we look at buying some nitrogen versus potentially using a crop that could supply some some more organic nitrogen that's that's a trade-off that we can start to study right now and we don't necessarily have to pay whatever anhydrous price currently is or urea or whatever form that we'd like to use of synthetic nitrogen
2: and also as you look at putting more equipment on your farm you know think about things that may be a little bit outside the box I got a guy that's live that's right next to me that He's using a drone the last two years to plant his cover crops and to, and to spray fungicide. You know, these are types of things that you, know, you potentially can get maybe even 50-50 or, or you know, some type of re- reimbursement on. I think about diesel prices out there as well. You know, you're going out and you're, you're spreading cover crop seed or you're tilling or whatever you're doing. You know, that's an additional cost that we all know that diesel is not, not going to go down anytime soon.
0: One thing that can also be happening in 2023 as we look forward is the addition of more solar panels in Indiana to um, give us more on the renewable energy front. And there's been a lot of discussion about those solar panels. What are we going to do with the ground underneath them? Do we want to put something on them? Do we just want to level it out and put gravel and just leave it alone? What are we wanting to do with those areas as far as solar health goes and climate smart agriculture?
1: So from a soil health perspective, a lot of the solar development is going into a cool season grass that is routinely mowed, which from a soil health perspective, it is a perennial crop, but it's, it's not doing a whole lot for the soil. It's still a monoculture. Um, You're you're mowing routinely, so you're not getting a a really deep rooting depth. So ideally, we would be able to uh, function with agrivoltaics. Agri meaning agriculture, volt meaning electricity production. So if we could get the panels up high enough to be able to do something to the ground underneath of them, then we'd be able to continue agricultural production, not take those acres out. And we would also then be able to start diversifying the ground cover and continuing progress with soil health on those acres. I hear a lot about pollinator habitat going in, um, but at least for the projects that I've looked at, the pollinator habitat isn't underneath the panels. It's that the company is going to promise to set aside 30 or 40 acres somewhere where they don't have panels and plant pollinator habitat there. If we could get pollinator habitat under the panels, that is at least a diverse mix that would Be an improvement on a cool season grass
0: is that something where you could also put cover crops under the solar panels
1: i think so but if we look at putting cover crops underneath the panels we're gonna have to look at species selection and uh, the mix a little bit that that's a very very interesting question because cover crops traditionally are in fields that also have cash crops right and if we're not going purely agrivoltaic to where we can find a cash crop to put underneath the solar panels, then it's not a cover crop anymore. It's just a crop. And what do you do with it?
2: Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And you're looking at what to do underneath them. There's a lot of options. And there's been a lot of success with the agrivoltaics internationally. And I think that when you look at these types of initiatives. I think you need to look at your target market. It's going to be specialty crop growers, not commodity growers, that will be part of this. It'll be lettuces that need shade. It'll be berries that need shade. It'll be be cherry tomatoes. It'll it'll be somebody like Red Gold saying to one of their 2,000 acre farmers, you know, hey, let's put 100 acres of agrivoltaics on your farm and let's try this out. Um, I think Red Gold is kind of a, a a leader in the, in the respect of specialty crop farmers in Indiana and, and how to prepare them for success and so when we look at like I said again partnering with partners that can kind of push things through and make sure that things are organized appropriately that's somebody that I think in the, in, in the state we really could look towards to figure out you know what variety they're growing if they could if they could see some benefit from it as well maybe you know bigger plumper tomatoes you know getting a little bit of shade you know certain times of the year but it's also how we space those solar cells in the array above that crop too. So, one year it might be that you have 50% more arrays, but you're doing a different crop the next year and you need a little bit more sunlight, so you take you know, 25% of the arrays off. It, it's really that continual uh, process that every specialty crop grower has to go through to make sure that they have the, you know, edible best uh, crop coming out of their farm because, you know, we all see the stuff at, you know, the International section at Kroger or Walmart, you know, ripeness and freshness and that sort of thing. It's not something you typically find, but we really want to see more of that from local farmers here in Indiana. Uh, interesting statistic, and it's probably changed a little bit since last time I looked at it, but we export 90% of what we grow and we import 90% of what we eat here in Indiana. I think we can do a better job at that
0: at the beginning of the podcast we mentioned the organizations you are involved in so from an indiana farmers union national farmers union standpoint and for you hans uh, ccsi standpoint what's going to be the biggest challenge that farmers are going to face in 2023 and how are your organizations helping them meet that challenge
2: so with Indiana Farmers Union, National Farmers Union, over the last couple of years, we've been involved in a food safety grant. So we've been helping specialty crop farmers get certified food safe, so on and so forth. What we're seeing now is that we're seeing a saturation in that specialty crop grower marketplace for that type of training. And so now we're really focused on trying to help them achieve the equipment or the implement or the training or the certification they need to go into the next level of the marketplace, whether that be wholesale, a, a, new, mar- a new vendor marketplace, uh, that that's my initiative over the next year. But when we look at research and getting more information and training around cover crop usage, you know, one thing that I want to point to is the Indiana Corn and Marketing Council has a whole committee um, committed to developing out these research tools. And Hans talked about Shalimar before, and he's received I think three or four grants this this cycle through Indiana Corn and Marketing Council. One for his nitrogen calculator, one for his carbon calculator, one for cover, you know, he's he's really doing a lot of research and a lot of things in this marketplace. So that's what I want people to be more knowledgeable about. There's a lot of programs out there that, that will help you institute these things on your farm. Don't feel like you're alone. And again, reach out to Indiana Farmers Union, National Farmers Union, Soil Health, you know, all of us really want to get you guys to the right people to talk about the right things, to get the right things on your farm because... Whether it's a high tunnel or you know, talking about a digester or something along those lines, I think every farmer can put a climate smart activity on their farm in 2023 if they take advantage of all the funds that are going to be brought down in the next year. And from a Conservation
1: Cropping Systems Initiative, 2023 is going to be a huge year for us. We currently have one director, one agronomist, and two program managers. By the end of 23, we'll have one director, two agronomists, and four program managers. So our ability to to get on farm and get at events and, and really interact with people is going to expand. A couple things that I'm working on personally is, uh, number one, we, we are going to have our usual... Uh, trainings that we have for conservation partnership staff next year. But we're going to have an additional National Wildlife Federation Grow More set of trainings around the state in the month of September, which is aimed at taking our partners, soil and water conservation district employees, Purdue Extension educators, um, natural resource conservation service technicians and and educators, and uh, getting them trained in how to set up events that will attract middle adopters or those that haven't traditionally come to conservation type events. And I'm really uh, excited to be able to, to bring those trainings to Indiana in September. Additionally, the Midwest Cover Crop Council's selector tool is currently in the process of being updated to have more research incorporated into each of those species of cover crops and to add new species of cover crops to the selector tool. uh, tool. So um, we're going through that right now. It probably won't go public for a little while, but uh, really excited to get to work with Anna on that. And um, that's what 23 might look like for me.
0: So it sounds like it could be a very promising year. If somebody wanted to find out more about your organizations, where should they go?
2: CCSIN.org. Yeah, you can look for us, indianafarmersunion.org and also nationalfarmersunion.org.
0: So as we start to wrap up here at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo, what's the number one takeaway you would want our listeners to think about as they go throughout their day?
1: Number one thing I'd want you to know is that I'll be here for a little bit afterwards, and uh, I'm always happy to interact with everybody, Uh, always happy to to schedule some additional visits if needed. And uh, CCSI is a resource that is best valued when it's actually used so uh, we are people reach out to us and use use us as resources
0: yeah and i can say that ccsi has been a great resource for uh, this podcast as a supporter of it and they have a lot of networks around the state of indiana and if you just reach out to hans um, then he can point you in the right direction uh, for some of their events
2: so the key takeaway that I would like everybody to go away with is always think about your goals for the next year. And I know that we do planning in November, December, January. Some people do it even earlier than that, but when we're talking about climate smart activities, it is a multi-year goal and it is something that you need to really think about as it relates to your farm, not as it relates to, you know, what somebody else is doing over across the road or, you know, what 30-year contract somebody's getting for something you know it it really is what your goal is for your farm because the one thing that I've noticed is that every farm is different and I think we all appreciate that more than we, we really know so thank you
0: and even within every farm every field is different So you've got to take a look on an individual level and reach out to uh, people like Michael, people like Anna, and they can uh, give you some guidance as far as maybe what uh, some of these strategies for you can be. Hans, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Soil Health Podcast. This episode was brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can learn more about their efforts and see a schedule of events at ccsin.org. For Who's Your Ag Today? I'm Elise Koning. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, create your riches below the surface with healthy soil.